Hello, content enthusiasts, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. And I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, I discuss the mind-blowing and suspiciously oompa-loompingly absent fan theory that Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Wonka-Piercer theory. And then Josh man-crushes out on another content creator, a podcaster no less, with dulcet tones and a penchant for mixing music history with true crime, plus a hearty dose of speculation. Two servings full, you might say. We're talking about Disgraceland, created by Jake Brennan. And if you want to hear Josh's definition of porn, you definitely need to stay tuned. I think he's on to something. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. How are you? Great. I was really enjoying your vocal warm up. Oh, pug. yeah. I'm a yeah. pug. How's it go? I'm a pug. What you going to do? I'm a pug. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't seen I'm a pug video on YouTube, you should look it up. Speaking of great content, I haven't it's, seen uh, it. It's pure fire. Wow. Maybe, so- maybe we'll link it in the show notes. That sounds good. I gotta check it out. Sounds lit. It is lit, as the kids say. How's uh how have you been in these last couple of weeks since we've spoken? Good man, just flying around the world. One box at a time. Oh man. God, your lifestyle m- makes me exhausted. Every time you tell me about it, I'm glad I uh I don't do that. <laughs> flying that much all over the all over the known universe is crazy, bro. Well, it helps that I really enjoy it, but uh, I, I've i been on the road for, I believe, about two weeks now, and uh, I'm not going to lie, yesterday, getting off the plane after about a 12-hour flight, the thought of getting back on a plane for 14 and a half hours didn't sound super appealing to me since I've been out for a while, um, but I had all day off today in Los Angeles, and... Uh, when we're recording this and tomorrow morning back to Sydney and I'm feeling refreshed and ready to go after a night of sleep, of course. I know how you feel, man. We, uh, we just did a tunnel camp this weekend down in Colorado Springs. So I flew in the tunnel on Wednesday, Thursday, and then I had a day off and then Mike Silva and I hosted a camp on uh, Saturday, Sunday. And at the end of that, I felt the exact same way. Like I had a great time. It was so awesome so thankful for everyone that came out and flew but yesterday when i woke up i was like man i don't even want to think about the tunnel i'm so tired i don't want to have any tunnel influence in my entire life and then today i woke up it's like man i can't wait to get back in the tunnel tomorrow <laughs> so it, it 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 goes in waves for sure yeah um, that's how it works mike something... silva i've heard of that guy you, you mentioned him on the yeah, fall know. risk podcast yeah, our good friend Mike Silva. Yeah. But something awesome that he and I did uh, before the camp, this is the second time I've done this. We went to Sandbox VR. Have you seen Sandbox? It's like a room scale VR that you do with your friends. And uh, you wear, you have the headset, you have headphones, and then you wear this haptic feedback vest. You're holding a gun, a weapon of some sort, and then you're carrying the, the gaming PC on your back, like in a backpack. 
So you're not tethered to anything. And it's it's this big room. It's probably like, you know, 15 feet by 12 feet or something. And you can run around in the room. You know, you're moving around, covering each other. I had a, my character had this like shield that when I brought my arm up, it popped up and then I could throw it like Captain America. It was awesome. And I've been playing VR for probably like seven years now, you know, since I got my VR set up. And it was just a, such a totally different experience having like the complete immersion, holding the gun, being able to move around. It was really awesome. And uh, if there's a sandbox VR near where you are, you should definitely check that out. Man, that sounds awesome. So wait a minute. You don't even have like a power cord? Is it like a gaming laptop you're carrying around? It's like a... I don't know. You get, you don't get to see exactly what's in the backpack, but they said it's basically a gaming PC. So I'm assuming that it's like some sort of custom built thing that fits the, you know, fix, fits the profile of the backpack. So you're tethered to that through the headset, but that's not tethered to anything. So you can move completely freely. There's no wires to trip over, which makes such a big difference with VR didn't seem like that would be as you know such a game changer but it really was so also what, the guns like holding real like real shaped guns that you're manipulating the way you would a, a normal gun i'm glad really you cool. specified that they're real shaped and not real guns oh, yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a mass shooting or anything <laughs> we were uh, they were toys josh too soon i don't know if there know. has been a recent specific mass shooting but i just guarantee there has been so it's I mean, it's soon. probably a safe bet, unfortunately. So how do you keep from running into the walls at this place? Well, the uh, it's a pretty big room, and then they have, uh, just like when you play normal VR, there's a boundary set up, and when you get near it, this like red grid pops up. But still, that is probably an arm's length from where the actual wall is. So you you can come up to that and you know get right up to the edge and even stick your head through that boundary and not hit anything. Oh, and another uh, really cool feature was they had these fans mounted all around, and there were certain elements in the game. Like one of the games we played, a helicopter landed, and when it landed, the fans start blowing on you. <sighs> and <laughs> another uh, another one of the scenarios was you're on a space elevator, so you're going up like thousands and thousands of feet through the entire game. And at certain points, the elevator would open up, and wind would start blowing in. It, it, that little extra bit of immersion was really cool it made it seem very real oh man that is awesome uh have you ever heard of seed invest no so it's uh sort of like a crowdfunding um business model but it's a way for entrepreneurs to get uh vest uh, um you know money basically like investments from just like everyday people like you're, but they're not publicly traded companies yet. Like they're just like ideas that, and they're just getting off the ground. They're looking for funding and then you get some, you know, portion of a, of a share. Um, so I think I've invested in like two or three things. Flippy, it's going to make me a millionaire one day, the robotic arm that flips hamburger patties. <laughs> but one of the things. <laughs> Sounds like something I would have invented in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, uh, Yuval Noah Harari's book *Sapiens* made me realize that uh, things are like ro- robots are very quickly going to replace um, employees. Uh, I'm sad to say that, but 
I do want to capitalize on that as a person. So, um, but one of the things that I was an early investor on on Seed, Seed Invest was this, I, I don't remember the name of the company or even the name of the product, but it was essentially like a bowl shaped treadmill that you're suspended in a harness and it's designed to link with VR. So you can like full out run or walk or sprint and turn 360 degrees, um, but you stay like stationary. Yeah, like Omnitread, exactly. Yeah. I guess it wasn't Omnitread like because that. I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> you blew it. You know, if we can just go back to this hamburger patty thing for a second. Yes, uh, flippy. When I was in when I was in sixth grade, we had we had a uh, it was like a you had to build a, a robot out of simple machines, and uh, what I built was the Gizmo hand fan, and it was this gigantic. <laughs> it was probably like four and a half feet tall. It was made out of like two by fours, and essentially what it had a post. And then there, it came down. There was a handle on the front of it, and through the inside of like the frame, there were pulleys. And when you would work the handle, this big wooden hand that I had cut out on top would like move like super awkwardly. It was you know, it was real <laughs> shitty cables and pulleys. And then I jammed a paper fan that I had made into the finger on the hand. And then I told the teacher like, "Oh, this is the Gizmo hand fan," and you fanned yourself with it. And when she tried to use it, she was like, this is way harder than just using your real hand. <laughs> so uh, I think the idea could have been a million-dollar idea, but uh, my execution was uh, pretty shitty. Well, Did all, not work. All you, well. all you need is some more money. Uh, you're a big ideas guy. I'm ready to open my wallet. Just tell me how much you need. One million dollars. <laughs> the new flippy. Well, maybe I'll see you on Seed Invest then. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. So uh, what do you got for off top today, buddy? Oh, buddy. I'm really excited about this. So I uh, I know that you remember Snowpiercer, the violent 2013 post-apocalyptic movie set on a train that's constantly moving through the frozen hillscape of Earth. Oh, yeah. We talked about it on the show, didn't we? We did. Um, I actually recommended... Uh, Snowpiercer on episode 42 of the Content Clearinghouse. And I think it's going to be... Somebody a... did their homework. Absolutely, buddy. I was actually listening to the episode today and the um, the sound quality, when I have a real microphone, ooh, it's a lot better, but I just can't carry a briefcase worth of audio equipment around with me all over the world. Slacker attitude. <laughs> well, I, I actually think Snowpiercer is going to be a rewatch for me soon. Uh, after I went down this deliciously scrumptious internet rabbit hole that I'm about to talk about. So how well do you remember the 1971 children's classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Uh, The movie? The movie. Decently well. Okay, this is perfect. It's probably been 20 years since I've seen it, but uh, (laughs) I I think I remember the main story beats. Sure, okay. uh, Chocolate... Kid gets sucked into the chocolate tube, <laughs> uh, floating up towards a fan. Big fat kid, right? Yeah, it's you know actually maybe um, who who was the inventor of wind tunnels? Oh, Gene Saint Germain. Uh, that wasn't it, <laughs> according to the Wikipedia page. I thought it was a Bill something. <laughs> I don't know. Bill oh, Kitchens. Bill Kitchen. That was it. Yeah, maybe Bill Kitchen got his idea from Willy Wonka because they had a great wind tunnel scene. Oh, yeah. Wind tunnels? Big fan. Big fan. Well, I stumbled across a Mental Floss article 
about the connections between those two movies, and that led me to what I would describe as a perfect internet video. It's a viral hit with over 13 million views. Um, it even got a shout out from Captain America himself. Chris Evans tweeted, the snoz babies taste like snoz babies with a link to the video. <laughs> and Chris Evans said, oh my God, wow, I really love this. So needless to say, uh, I will put a link to this amazing YouTube video in the show notes. And I definitely think this is a must watch for any content to content. <laughs> I tried to, I wrote this word out. <laughs> oh no. I tried to combine, <laughs> combine enthusiast with contentologist and I came up with content enthusiast. Content enthusiast. <laughs> it, it doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> no. There's a reason that one's not in the dictionary. Reading that in my notes really threw me for a loop there. Content enthusiast. Ah, <laughs> uh, there it is. It's a must watch for the content enthusiasts out there. Yeah, I don't think that's going to catch on. That's all you guys. That's what we should start calling fans of this show. Content enthusiasts. Content enthusiasts. It does kind of roll off the tongue, actually, once we figured out how to pronounce it, <laughs> this word you made up. You can always count on me to make up words, but you can't count on me to pronounce them correctly. <laughs> you have trouble with words that have already existed for years. You're absolutely right about that. Do you that. remember, uh, speaking of callback, do you remember the Nofrio? <laughs> the Nofrio. From our Daredevil episode. Absolutely. Ah, oh, one of the best shows and content. If you want to episodes. hear, if you want to hear a uh, mispronunciation fuel down Marvel Lane, you should listen to the Daredevil <laughs> episode of the Content Clearinghouse, and you can get a perfect example of what Brett is talking about right now. Man, some of our early episodes remind me that we are always on the cutting edge of content. We were talking about Daredevil before it blew up. Um, I know there's a couple other examples. Uh, you talked about that book series before it got turned into like a really popular prime video TV series. Super cool. Uh, oh, uh, Terminalist. Terminalist. Yep, that's yeah, that's it. And, you know, before you go on, speaking of our old shows, I do want to just give a shout out real quick to my buddy Sean, who told me that he recently discovered the podcast and he is listening to every single episode he's working his way through the entire back catalog right now so uh thank you sean we appreciate that now brett please continue hey sean welcome to the present now you know me better than i know myself <laughs> he'll probably be caught up to this in about three months um yeah so uh back to my uh, willy wonka snow piercer uh, tie over internet video uh, full credit to this goes to YouTube creator Rhino Stew for this mind-blowing Wonka Piercer mm, theory. Endangeredly delicious. <laughs> so essentially the theory is that the super violent uh, sci-fi film Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Charli Charlie Factory. Wait, I wrote Charlie Factory in my notes. I'm really knocking it out of the park tonight. <laughs> You're blowing it. I, I I'm not going to use factory. I'm not going to use the excuse that I'm sleep deprived because I'm always sleep deprived so I can't use that excuse. Um, no, so Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There we go. And so the the genius inventor and creator of the perpetually moving super train, Mister Wilford, played by Ed Harris, 
is actually a grown-up Charlie Bucket from Willy Wonka. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. awesome. So besides the obvious commonalities between the two movies, you have groups of people that are moving from section to section in a large, highly advanced structure where people are being picked off one at a time until just one remains. Rhino Stu points out that there's actually several pieces of pretty compelling evidence for this theory that the adult Charlie built the train in Snowpiercer. In Willy Wonka, there's two main things that he focuses on in his factory. He's got state-of-the-art food production and experimental modes of transportation. And both of these are really the crux of the super train in Snowpiercer. Also, the train has to be self-contained and completely self-sustaining in this post-apocalyptic world. And this was not a detail that I remember about Willy Wonka, but uh, it precisely mimics how Willy Wonka ran his factory, just completely self-sustaining and sealed off from the rest of the world. There are other undeniable commonalities between both very different pieces of content, and I'm now convinced that these are linked. Uh, So both stories explore economic class structures, children, food, as well as sacrifice, choice, and free will. But Rhino Stew goes even further to point out specific evidence that links Wilford himself as well as his posse in Snowpiercer to specific characters in Willy Wonka. So starting with Charlie, there's a scene in Willy Wonka where Charlie shows a real interest in chemistry. Rhino Stew points out that when the events take place in Snowpiercer, specifically it's uh, climate change, and they're attempting to tackle climate change by releasing this gas, I think it was a CW7, and they're releasing this gas into the atmosphere. And it, it, his knowledge of uh, chemistry, Charlie's and Willy Wonka, it's sort of like budding, like he's just getting into chemistry. But that budding knowledge might mean that the future Charlie, aka Mr. Wilford, uses that information to predict this gas would work too well and cause the Earth to become an in habitable frozen ice world. And so that's when he started working on his train. Other characters that are potentially linked, we got uh, Minister Mason. She was portrayed by Tilda Swinton, and she allegedly um, is a grown-up Veruca Salt, the bratty little kid. Oh, cool. That always wants to enter the room first. There's like a lot of like specific scenes that tie them together. Uh, There's uh, Gilliam, I think it is, who plays... Wilford's spy in Snowpiercer, he could be an aged Arthur Slugworth. There's the gun expert Franco Elder, who um, he's like a really good shot. Like he's like a sniper level shot in Snowpiercer, which is a world that basically doesn't have any bullets. So it's like, how did this guy? Well, he takes the shot when the train is on the big curve, right? Yeah, that's him. Across that valley from one train car to the other. Yep, exactly. So Rhino Stew's saying that he is the grown-up of this kid that loves this toy gun, and it like pretends to shoot Willy Wonka and TV reporters. He's like obsessed with guns, and so it's like, oh, maybe that kid grew up to be obsessed with guns and did a lot of shooting before basically bullets were like near extinction in this post-apocalyptic world. There's the child catcher Claude in Snowpiercer, which we don't know much about this character, but almost all of her tendencies are exhibited by the Gloop family in Willy Wonka. So she could could be a Gloop descendant. 
So <sighs> some more evidence includes there being a candy in Willy Wonka that could be a precursor to the flammable waste jug Kronal. It's the the uh, in Willy Wonka it's the exploding gum for your enemies that uh, Mike TV eats. I think Mike TV is the kid that's obsessed with guns. I haven't watched Willy Wonka in a while, but after checking out this YouTube video, I want to watch them both like back to back. I'm super curious about this. So one of the elements in Willy Wonka that doesn't show up in Snowpiercer is the Oompa Loompas. Mm, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, the tiny people. They're the bugs that everyone eats in Snowpiercer. (laughs) <laughs> no, so in, in Snowpiercer, Wilford, uh, Wilf, uh, yeah, Wilford, who I'm now convinced he's definitely an adult, Charlie. He talks about the perpetual engine in one of the scenes near the end, and that one of the pieces of equipment went extinct recently. So if you remember, there is this space in the engine compartment that only allows for a really tiny person. So they mm-hmm. have to continually use, uh, spoiler alert, they have to continually use children to keep the train moving. So what if Oompa Loompas were designed to be used but went extinct and had to be replaced by the children? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> In Willy Wonka, all of the devices Loompas and essentially designed with their small stature in mind. Mm-hmm. Um after watching the YouTube video, I, I like to scroll through the comments. And one of the comments pointed out that in the remake of Willy Wonka with Johnny Depp, they mention in the um, in that movie that Oompa Loompas live in a warm climate. And so it would make sense, like w- canon, you know, within the mythology of this universe, that the Oompa Loompas couldn't live in like an ice world and possibly went extinct early. In Snowpiercer, how long has the the snowpocalypse been going on? Uh, if I Do remember, you remember, if there's a time. Yeah, line? yeah. I think at the beginning of the movie, they say like it's the year 2013, and the movie came out in the year 2013. Um, so it does actually make sense if you have these children, you know, in the 1970s, like grew up to be adults and like running this train, um, or like you know creating this train if it's Charlie. Um, yeah, the, uh, let's see the end of, uh, the end of Snowpiercer. Yeah, this is a good one. So Chris Evans's character involves a personal sacrifice that mirrors Charlie's sacrifice at the end of Willy Wonka when he gives up the never ending gobstopper. Um, but yeah, what, uh, what did the YouTube comments put it perfectly? Like there are very few fan theories that I would make my hill to die on, but this is now one of them. I'm stealing that oh, man. because <laughs> this, 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 uh, yeah, this YouTube video is freaking awesome. It definitely makes me want to watch Willy Wonka and then immediately Snowpiercer. I feel like it might be a little bit jarring, but the guy has me convinced, man. Rhino Stew for the win. That's like one of the best compliments about content is when some super in-depth fan theory is developed and you can find all these parallels you know it's you don't get that with shitty content you're only going to get that with something that people have watched thousands of times you know and people have poured over every single second of both pieces of content to find all these parallels and that's like such a compliment to both of those things even if it is just a you know just a case of just 
generalized story beat ideas being recycled and maybe some like minor influences from the creators of Snowpiercer. They were maybe a fan of Charlie and the Chocolate, uh, Chocolate Factory and you know, maybe subconsciously influenced, but it's such a, such a compliment to both of those films that someone took the time to put that together and found so many parallels. That's a man. It'd be awesome to find some confirmation on that. It would. Well, he, uh, so Rhino Stu, and I think that's exactly how he came up with the idea for this video. I mean, he loved both of the movies and he noticed that they have like similar themes and similar structures, but I would love to know about the moment when this like light bulb went on in his mind and he's like, could this be a sequel? Like he loves the, uh, the director, uh, Bong Joon Ho. And I know that we've talked about him. We all do. Yeah. I mean, he is, he has made some amazing content, but it does seem like the kind of like weird thing that like he might've done, like he enjoyed this like childhood classic and then wanted to, um, you know, like hide the fact that this was a sequel and put like his own like twisted dark spin on it. Like that seems like exactly the kind of thing that a director like that would do. And you know, there's, there's tons of other stuff in his video, you know, just the, even the big W there's like all these shots with Wilford's train having like this giant W symbol on it um, that the camera will like pan to that just, it's very reminiscent of like Willy Wonka. So if it, if there is, some uh ties here i i don't think it's a coincidence like even if it's not a sequel i do think that there's some intentional like homage happening with snowpiercer that would totally make sense you should uh link that video for sure i want to check that out i definitely will and the next thing i'm going to watch as well uh there was a follow-up youtube video by rhino stew and it's like two hours and 15 minutes long so i didn't have oh, man time to watch it before the show i just longer as- than either one of the movies <laughs> i think <laughs> i think so honestly yeah so i can't That's wait awesome. to check that out because he goes way more into depth um so i'm definitely looking forward to that too sweet oh man that's so good that's like Oh, that's what makes content so great. Stuff like that. <laughs> I agree, buddy. Ex- excellent find, Brett. <laughs> I love the internet. I stumble across all, all sorts of wondrous things. Oh, man. It's brought so much joy to our life and so much shittiness at the same time. A lot, of mental, sword a lot sure. of mental health problems. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> a lot of time wasted. Indeed. So, uh, what's on your content circuit? Um, so, two things. Uh, one of them is actually a piece of hardware. I got a Steam Deck recently, and I think I might have mentioned it, but um, it's basically a uh, it's a handheld gaming console. It's kind of like the size of a Nintendo Switch, maybe a little bit bigger, but it packs the power, essentially, of a PS4, and it runs off of Steam, which is... Uh, basically like one of the biggest PC video game distribution uh, systems that exists. So all the games that I already own on Steam, I can play in the Steam Deck. And I'm getting to work my way through so many like 100-hour long single-player games that I wouldn't really have time to sit down at the computer and play. Like I played Witcher 3. Um, I'm playing the Dead Space remake right now. And man, I just just love the steam deck so much and it's 
the gaming consoles are so hard to get these days, like the Xbox and the PlayStation, but the Steam Deck, you just sign up for a waiting list, and then they let you know when it comes in stock, and you have the, you know like three days to buy it. So that is uh, something that has revolutionized my video game consumption. And the, uh, the other thing is, I believe I mentioned this briefly on the last show, but The Last of Us TV show on HBO Max. Oh, yeah. It, it is so amazing. And what made me want to talk about this today was I, uh, episode seven just released. There's going to be nine episodes, and it essentially covers the arc from the first Last of Us game, which is the PlayStation 4 game. And uh, on this show, we talked about The Last of Us Part Two, which I consider to be one of the greatest video games of all time. And I'd also put the first game in that category. But I saw a, uh, I saw a post today. And uh, so Last of Us, the show, has been under all kind of fire for various reasons. I mean, it's so amazing. But there are, there are heavy gay uh, character undertones and overtones in the entire story. Like Ellie, the main character, is gay. Uh, their uh, main character or uh, side characters, Bill and Frank, who are a gay couple. And for some reason, the show has been under fire. Like this episode, episode seven, was all about uh, Ellie's past when she started to have like, like her sexual awakening. And people were, they were review bombing it for being woke filler, quote unquote woke filler. And uh, so I started thinking about, I, I do have like a, uh, like a woke radar, like when things are super woke, it really annoys me. And I was starting to wonder, like, why The Last of Us did not trigger that in me? And it's because I suppose it does have a lot of the woke trappings, but it is not woke. So to me, the idea of woke is like all about having an agenda and indoctrination. And Last of Us has gay and trans characters, but it just presents them as things that exist in this world without insisting that you adapt your way of thinking because those characters are in the content. And uh, the same thing, the same kind of thing happened with episode three, which was another story about a gay couple in the apocalypse, uh, Frank and Bill that I mentioned. But what the last of us does so well is that even if as a human, you are offended by the concept of a gay couple by the end of the show, the, the episode, the fact that they're gay is completely irrelevant. Like the, the story is so touching and it's, it's so emotional that it transcends like any political view or bigotry. And I hate when anything really starts pushing an agenda. And to me, the wokesters are like the absolute worst about that. Like it feels like since they have tied themselves to a community that has historically been discriminated against and wronged, that they feel anything they do is justified. And they have, in my mind, become just as bad or worse than what they're fighting against. And I feel like uh, I feel like they've kind of become what they hated. It's that whole movement to me seems discriminatory against anyone who doesn't share their their exact views. And The Last of Us is almost anti-woke because it presents all sexuality and gender and race and religious beliefs in the same light and just shows that people are people and they're trying to survive and find companionship and love and safety in this world that's trying its hardest to eliminate humanity. Uh, the people who make Last of Us, uh, or the people in this woke movement, should take notes from the people who make The Last of Us. Like the showrunner's beliefs are elegantly presented in a totally non-confrontational way. 
And on top of all that, it's the best zombie shit I've ever seen. It's the best adaptation of a game ever made. And my wife, who is not a gamer and has never showed any interest in games really, is constantly asking me when we're watching this, hey, is this in the show or is this in the game? And uh, she, it, it made her like care about this game idea. And she's even watched me play a little bit of part two, which is really cool. I, I feel like this show is like crossing major boundaries for people who are not into video games at all. And it's kind of presenting video games as an art form. And uh, it's just kind of like showing the world, non-gamers, how cool video gaming can be. So if you haven't watched The Last of Us TV show, I mentioned it last uh, last show and I'm mentioning it again. It is so good, Brett. Get a hold of some HBO Max. Get somebody's password or something and watch that show. Well, something I've been really upset about overseas is not being able to watch HBO and Hulu. And after we recorded the last episode, literally that night, I started watching The Last of Us because of the conversation we had. I, yeah. I like to adopt your content circuit. Um, yeah, not only is it one of the best things I have ever seen, and I've already recommended it to so many people, but yeah, episode three, that alone is like one of just the like most heart-wrenching, touching, beautiful love stories I've ever seen and like it's in zombie content I mean it's so so good Um, but what I've been upset about is I like dished out $100 for a VPN ExpressVPN don't even think about sponsoring us I know you weren't before but (laughs) you're definitely not going to or please consider it Um, but I, you know, the, the whole reason I got this VPN was so I could watch HBO and I'm overseas and something's not working properly. I can get my money back. Um, so I'm probably going to do that, but I literally have been overseas and I, I think the last two episodes I haven't gotten to catch up on cause I just got back, just got back stateside. So I cannot wait to catch up on last of us. Um, and there's some other stuff on HBO on my content circuit, you know, Silicon Valley, I've been rewatching that. It's hilarious. I'll probably talk about it on the show at some point. Um, but man, I was so bummed to not be able to uh, stay on top of The Last of Us. It's amazing. Well, I'll probably be able to like finish the run out and then you can just binge the last few episodes. Yeah. That's not a bad way to do it. Yeah, I've been jonesing for it for sure, though. That's good, man. Besides Last of Us, what's on your content circuit? Um, well, I did actually watch uh, two seasons of The White Lotus, also on HBO. Also very good. <laughs> Highly recommend. Um, I'm reading a book called Babel right now. Uh, it's uh, The subtitles is, Or the ne- Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translator's Revolution. Very interesting historical fiction. And uh, excited to get into that a little bit more. Um, and then my reality TV itch has been scratched by the oh, perfect no. the perfect match <laughs> on Netflix. Oh no, Brett! <laughs> Sometimes I just need something you to love. T- terrible <laughs> dating shows. <laughs> I need to turn off my brain, buddy. This is <laughs> it's your guilty pleasure. It really is. This is this is perfect for that. So yeah, enjoying a perfect match. I can't really complain too much because I did bring America's Next Top Model to this show, which is so against everything that I thought I would ever stand for. 
So there is some good reality TV show. I will give you that. But your obsession with dating shows is bordering on criminally insane. I think it's quite normal, actually. There are a lot of (laughs) very popular dating shows for a reason. People like them. I talked about dating around on our podcast, and I'll stand by my recommendation. (laughs) It's a good show. Oh, Brett. (laughs) Somebody needs to go back to Harvard. Sounds like your (laughs) studies need to be... uh, Topped off a bit. Well, I got. Why is that? What what is that? What is the new one? Why is it's called the perfect match? Because it turns my brain off, buddy. That's no. Well, there's value in that for sure. (laughs) Sometimes I have trouble sleeping without putting on a nice, juicy dating Netflix series. That's not a show you watch. That's a show you fall asleep to. That's very different. That's like a white noise generator. I still watch it though. If I. Wake up, I, I back it up to what I last remembered. I don't want to miss anything. I don't <laughs> oh, want to miss no. the drama. So many twists and turns. Hey, I I may have gotten my degree in contentology at Harvard, but I will say my minor in uh, dating reality TV shows, I did get at community college. That tells you. Yeah, I can. that actually makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. You know Harvard can pull your degree if you're not careful. <laughs> Well, let's hope they don't listen to the show. (laughs) I don't think Harvard's listening to this. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, how about we take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get into some content. content? Clear it out. Well, Josh, I'm very excited to hear what you brought to the show. I really hope it's a dating reality TV show, but I highly doubt that it is. But you've surprised me before. You'd be right about that. It's not. (laughs) Um, So when we stopped recording this show a year ago, I was in the process of outlining like three or four things, and I got to dust one of those off and finish the outline to bring to the show. So I'm really excited about that. Um, So... I know you are a huge music fan. You are a musician. Uh, I imagine you probably enjoy learning the history of bands and the way that their upbringing and life experience shape their creative endeavors. Is that an accurate guess? Yes. I like. I imagine you know everything about Dave Matthews Band, correct? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank God. There's hope for you yet. <laughs> like I, I've never really been fascinated by the lives of these artists like i don't know why other than learning about nickelback so i could hate them more efficiently the history of these bands like these pop cultural leaders has never really called to me until i discovered today's content so today i'm talking about a podcast called disgraceland and this is a show about musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly this is a scripted show that delves deep into the personal lives, secrets, and crimes of the world's most respected and loved musicians. It's basically true crime filtered through the music industry. Have you ever heard of Disgraceland? That's very interesting. No, I haven't. Sounds right up my alley, though. I love true crime. It's really good. So Disgraceland uh, began in 2018 and has had a powerful five-year run, releasing 11 seasons of stories. And all of this is delivered by a storyteller an audio tour guide, and a poet of the spoken word. The only reason I'm not calling him a lyricist is because he's not singing, but delivering his expertly scripted tales in a low, deep voice, almost a whisper, 
and would be decidedly cinematic if only these stories were accompanied by imagery. But this is a podcast, so the imagery is painted in your mind by this subject matter expert and trendsetter of his craft. Each episode is an epic, sultry, dulcet-toned audio journey into the deepest and darkest recesses of the world's most famous musicians, delivered in a way that only a master could even dream of. And I don't really even know what dulcet tone means. I just know that's a thing people say about sexy voices, and I refuse to look it up. I do feel like I've heard you use that term more than once. Dulcet tones. Sounds good. Well, this uh, sexy voiced master is Jake Brennan. So Jake Brennan is a 48-year-old Bostonian musician and storyteller who grew up with a musician for a father, and he joined a hardcore punk band called Cast Iron Mike in uh, 1994 when he was 20 years old. So he was in several other bands, including the Bodega Girls, in which he and his bandmates wanted to create an innovative way to release their music. So they created an app out of their album to be sold on iPhones. And this idea was not approved by Apple, as they feared that if this whole album as an app idea caught on, it could seriously hamper and be a competitor for iTunes. So they eventually dropped that idea and just released their album as singles on iTunes. But honestly, that's how you know have a good how you know you have a good idea is if it scares Apple. Yeah, they, that's uh, a good point. That's interesting. Yeah, like if you can threaten a multi-billion-dollar corporation, you're probably onto something. Yeah. So in uh, 2018, uh, Jake Brennan formed Double Elvis, which is an audio production company that produces a whole myriad of shows that I'll talk a little bit about later. But one thing that all of these shows have in common, all the Double Elvis productions, uh, is their style. And that style is distinctly Jake Brennan. So that style is it's essentially spellbinding speculation about the subject's inner monologues, their thoughts and motivations, coupled with exhaustive research into the documented history of these people, all delivered in a hushed, almost reverent tone that is my mental picture for the sound of cool. Nobody sounds more cool and smooth than Jake Brennan. But it's this speculation that makes these stories so compelling, such as his theorizing about Nikki Six of Motley Crue's inner monologue and experience, uh, out of body and otherwise, as he witnesses his own death and is revived on the operating table, or... Eminem imagining sodomizing a judge with a bar of soap while sitting in court waiting on a sentence, or Glenn Danzig fantasizing about the countless desperate prisoners who have lived and died in the legitimate dungeon the the London police threw him in for brawling with skinheads, and so many others that make these stories and really anything this guy talks about completely engrossing. Uh... So most recently, um, I was listening to uh, an After Party episode, which is a companion piece podcast that goes into the the behind-the-scenes stuff from the show. And Jake Brennan was interviewing Tiller Russell, who is the amazing documentarian that did the uh, Night Stalker on Netflix uh, documentary, Sasquatch, uh, The 7-5. I'm sure you've seen a lot of these. Operation Odessa. Yeah, Night Stalker. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Man, like pretty much every documentary that Tiller Russell makes is so good. And uh, Tiller Russell was complimenting Jake Brennan's speculative style and said that uh, 
And Jake Brennan said that his rule of thumb with his speculation is to never add anything that doesn't directly align with the truth of the story. So if his exhaustive research doesn't turn up facts that support his fictional narratives, he won't add them just to make a point or to make the episode more engrossing, which is pretty awesome. You know, I I think it'd probably be pretty easy to go down a speculative road and just like get derailed, but apparently he doesn't do that. He's, he's very true to his source material. Yeah. And as long as the audience knows that it's speculative too, you know, exactly. I mean, he, like his speculation is so believable. Like he nails it every single time to the point that I felt like surely this guy must have a brain tap into these people's minds because you just feel like you're hearing these people's inner monologue and like thoughts and fears. But one of the criticisms that has been leveled at this show is that Jake Brennan dips too deep into the speculative side. Like we should be more interested in entertainment that's delivering just the facts of the case instead of, you know, a little bit of artistic license. But with that said, I will admit there is one episode that goes way too far down this, this rabbit hole. It's a one-off episode. It's a false narrative about John Denver being the most decorated sniper in American history. And, uh, he lets you know, like, right from the top, that this episode is strictly for fun. It's not based on actual fact. It's an ec- an exercise in speculative fiction. And honestly, that episode is so good that if you take it as a work of fiction, it is just like, it's one of the most entertaining things I've ever heard. And I'm going to give it to him because it lets him lean into what he does be- best, speculating about the lives of the world's most well-known artists. Interesting. Yeah. John Denver, sniper. Yes, American sniper. Uh, Several of these artists he's not even a fan of, like he says so himself. In fact, he hates Chris Brown, and I tend to agree. But the the misadventures that these rock and rap gods get up to transcends any connection to their music. In fact, it transcends any connection to music whatsoever, which I think is why it might have, like, grabbed me right away. You know, in the beginning... I didn't even think I was going to like this show because I didn't think that I really cared about bands' histories, which is strange coming from a contentologist, Harvard certified. But I don't know. You can't really account for the wiring in your brain, and that's not something I ever thought I was interested in. But man, this this show just like grabbed me. I've like I've consumed everything in the entire catalog, um, and just you know the idea true crime filtered through the music industry and separating art from the artists is. When you're, when you're doing something like that, you know, it's almost a requirement, especially after hearing what these psychos really get up to. It's, you really have to say, like, I respect the music, but I may not respect the person because these guys are totally insane and crazy. And there's so many tales of, like, murder and intrigue and overdoses and pretty much any kind of crime you can imagine, he's got some sort of music industry tale about it. So does he talk about Elvis Presley at all, considering that Graceland is the name of the show? Uh, he has not have, had an Elvis episode, but you can tell, like, looking at pictures of him, that he is a huge Elvis fan. He's like a total rockabilly guy. Uh, it's I'm actually surprised there's not an Elvis episode, but I'm, I don't know. Maybe that'll come later. Maybe that's he's saving that for, like, the, the grand finale of the show or something. What about Dave Matthews' band? I, I do know of one crime... That they've committed, they dumped uh, their. Them creating music. 
<laughs> Ooh, got him. Oh, zinger. <laughs> what did they do? Uh, they dumped their, like, tour bus's black tank on a bridge with, like, a boat full of people underneath. Oh, God. <laughs> That's gotta. Uh, there's a. That's gotta be a crime. I'm pretty sure they paid like a hefty fine for it. There's a uh, a story about Sublime, one of the episodes where they were at a Denny's and they were getting like real shitty service. So they took their septic tank, they hooked it up to like the air vent of the Denny's and pumped it into the air vents oh, of the Denny's. It just like totally root, just destroyed the building because. Rock stars are total assholes, man. That's why. <laughs> That's one thing this show has taught me is that rock is, stars are total assholes. This is the takeaway, huh? Yeah. Oh. And you don't even need to like music to like this show. But speaking of not liking music, um, when I first moved to Colorado, our apartment we lived at, we used to get so many solicitors. Like the newspaper guy used to come back all the time try to sell us newspaper. And I had to tell them, like they would ask me, would you like to receive a newspaper? And eventually I had to tell them like, no, I don't want you to deliver a bag of trash to my door every day. I don't want to have to clean that up. But also we got a magazine salesman one time and he was, you could tell he was like just like some college kid. He was working on his sociopathy, like trying to be like the hell of a salesman, you know, and oh, I'm so cool. But the first thing he did, he was trying to connect with me, and he saw a Sublime poster on my wall, and he was like, so, you like music? And I was I was just thinking, like, no, I'm the only person in the universe that doesn't like music, guy. <laughs> it's just, like, such an obvious question to ask somebody. You're so stupid. But uh, enough of Recollection Corner. Let's talk about Jake Brennan some more. Uh, I found an article written by Jake Brennan himself about the impetus of the show. Uh, he said that his son had just been born, and he'd been working in the advertising industry, which he was burned out on, and that was after having burned out on the music industry as well. And that's something I can relate to. I've got about a ten-year lifespan on my obsessions, and when I'm done with them, I'm just done. I just want to get away from them. Do you feel like that with things that you're into? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I have just like a lot of hobbies, and so right now it's really hard for me to find time for any of them so it's really hard for me to feel like hobby burnout because i i feel like i just get to participate in them pretty rarely um but i was gonna ask uh how long have you been uh with your wife now <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> decade why <laughs> i don't know man 10 years doesn't sound good oh man right <laughs> I don't know if I would call being married an obsession. It's more of a, it's a love, Brett. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah. I think obsession is what happens when uh, you end up murdering your significant other. <laughs> I don't think it's the same thing. Uh, what about your kids? What's going to happen when they turn 10? Oh, man. They better be on their best behavior. <laughs> so, uh, back to this story. Uh, so, Jake Brennan said he was lost. He was looking for new direction. Uh, professionally and creatively frustrated. And so he asked two of the people who knew him best a simple question. If they could hire him to do one job, what would it be? And his wife answered, I would hire you to tell stories. And his friend Adam, a Grammy-winning producer, said, I pay you to sit in a vocal booth and just talk to talk into a mic. You've talked me into some of the craziest shit. And uh, wondering how a 21st century human can get stories to the masses, he settled on podcasting. So coupling a love for true crime 
and uh, music created one of the most perfect marriages of story and art that I've heard of in a long time. The only marriage I can imagine that's even more perfect is mine to my <laughs> lovely wife, who I would not call uh, an obsession, I would say. It's just a true, pure love. Like Bill oh. and Frank in The Last of Us. Bill and Frank. <clears throat> a better love has never been seen on television. I know. So, no doubt... Uh, Jake Brennan's love for The Sopranos informs his hushed yet intimidating slash comforting storytelling technique. So he constantly says he's influenced by the self-professed best TV show of all time, and it couldn't be applied any more expertly, and it benefits this show. So much like The Sopranos, Jake Brennan makes you love, then hate, then revile, then love again with these tragic figures that he's talking about. And uh, it's it's the way I know I felt about Tony Soprano. Uh, he makes these people into anti-heroes or tragedies that you can't help but root for. And that's like exactly how I felt watching The Sopranos. I watched the whole six-season run in like two weeks or three weeks, something like that, like a true psychotic contentologist. And, you know, Tony Soprano, perfect anti-hero. Yeah. So... Uh, he is an epic and captivating storyteller, even if he does have uh, the adorable eccentricity of saying garage instead of garage or forest instead of forest. Anytime, uh, anytime he says one of those words, I always like take like a mental note. It's like, man, garage. It's so weird. He's like a professional speaker. But I guess it's like a little bit of that Bostonian coming out in him. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like a man after my own heart. Yeah, true Moscato. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't talk about this show without mentioning the scoring. So apparently Jake Brennan scores it himself. Uh, it's just full of these amazing like musical fills and uh, repeating audio tags, these little repeating tunes that bridge certain sections of the show. And they're all so iconic. Like I, I can hear them all in my mind. I've assigned like imaginary names, uh, like what I imagine he has named these files as he's dropping him into the show. Things like tragic lead in and redemption one and two and cliffhanger dot wave. They're just like these, these little music fills that happen over and over. And every single one of them, like sometimes they're kind of like really awesome hold music. I'll just like hear them in my head randomly walking around during the day. Because they're all just so good. So he's apparently like this amazing musician. Earworms, buddy. Earworms. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. They, the whole show is full of earworms. And then there's the intro. Like the intro to the show is also so iconic. Like I can hear the format and the phrasing of it in my mind, even now. And I was going to try to imitate it, but it, it would have been a pale comparison of what Jake Brennan does. Needless to say that uh, after a few episodes, you'll also hear this intro format in your mind the second the show starts. Jake Brennan is just the master of formatting. And I don't know if you know this about me, but formatting is typically what gets me off. So you know that's some <laughs> shit-hot formatting if I'm talking about it this much. Wow. Yeah, you do love a good format, don't you? I don't know if you knew that I'm into format porn, but it's true. <laughs> I am not familiar with that particular type of uh, pornography. Oh, just type it into Google. You'll find something. Actually, you should type it into Google, do some research, and report your findings. Okay. I'd love to hear. What, I would love to hear what format porn. <laughs> format porn. Yeah. Uh, 
when we were making this show, I felt like getting the format down was one of the hardest things, like creating the different segments, making the them flow together, like the score, the musical intros and outros. And our show is like conversational with storytelling, like a cinematic style show. I'd imagine that's even more important with podcasts. Are you more into like storytell a story style or like a conversational style show? I mean, I think it depends, but usually I listen to conversation style podcasts. I think there are just a lot more of them out there. I've heard very few of that type of like cinematic storytelling type. I think uh, like Wondery is a uh, a podcast network. They do a lot of a lot of uh, storyteller style shows. Yeah, Doctor Death. That's Wondery. That was one of my faves. Yeah, and yeah, that exactly. But I think usually like what bothers me about shows like that is the season will just be one story. And I feel like when they do that, there ends up being a lot of like patter, uh, padding in there. Mm-hmm. With this show, every single episode, you know, it's like a 45, 50 minute episode, like self contained story, which I think really benefits that storyteller style because they don't just go like whole hog into every little tiny detail. Things are like inconsequential and might be not that interesting. Like it's all like super tight and concise with disgrace land. Wow. That sounds really interesting. Now I kind of want to hear your, uh, impression a little bit. Oh, maybe I'll do it off mic for you later. Okay. You're so good at making sounds. You impersonated the sound of a penis flapping in the wind at terminal velocity speeds. Yeah, that was actually uh, I had recorded that in freefall, and I uh, you thought I was doing that with my mouth, but that was I was just playing that back for you. Oh wow, that makes a lot of sense. Adds a sense of realism. So, Jake Brennan. Okay, so I've had a lot of like man crushes on this show, like uh, John Bernthal. He's raved and raved about how awesome he is when he's playing the Punisher. Uh, Jake Brennan is definitely another one of my man crushes, like amazing content creators. He's just like effortlessly cool. He's a total tastemaker. And if he's telling me music is great, he's probably right. And I'm not really even that into music. I like the things I like, but most of what I'm into is like podcasts, like spoken word stuff. Um, But this has made me go out and check out a bunch of bands things that I had some exposure to when I was younger, things that maybe I never liked when I was younger. And some of my favorite subjects from the show, like Oasis, his show about Oasis is so good. And you know, you would know Oasis from such classics as Champagne Supernova and Don't Look Back. I mean, these are songs that I remember (laughs) used to play in high school and I didn't like them because I was like, oh, that's radio shit. And I was too cool. I was into punk rock. But now I've like gone back and I've listened to like tons of Oasis because his sh- his show was so good. Interesting. Wow, I definitely want to check this out. Also, uh, his episode about uh, Tommy James and the Shondells, you know, from uh, they they did Money Money and I think we're alone now, like classic. I guess those are like '60s songs. The that episode is again made me go and download those songs because I, I kind of remembered like, oh yeah, those are kind of cool songs that my parents would play like on the record player when I was a kid and now I have those in my in my playlist. And then the uh, the Sublime episode. So 
you wouldn't remember Sublime from all those hundreds and hundreds of Sublime hits. Every fucking song they make is amazing. But uh, his episode about Sublime is so detailed and rich, it made me go out and purchase Sublime's self-titled album. Uh, it's the reggae beach bum punk masterpiece by the Long Beach Preachers, as he calls them, that I had assumed I was done with decades ago. That was like early skydiving days music for me. And I just thought that I had wrangled everything I needed from that album back in my college days. But the context that Jake Brennan put the album in about Sublime's life and career and pumping their septic tank into a Denny's, it just revitalized my interest and love for them. In fact, their self-titled album now I think is an almost perfect masterpiece. Like the first eight songs are perfect mix of expertly crafted works of art and the seven and uh, the 17 songs on the album i think 13 of them are flawless in my mind that's such a, a rarity for me are you like an album guy or do you just like usually pick singles and listen to them that's a great question and i am a 100 percent an album guy i, I absolutely i absolutely love uh to listen to an album like straight through like most of my favorite artists um, design albums to be like one uh, cohesive story. Like, I mean, whether it's Pink Floyd or Mac Miller, uh, the swimming album, which is one of my favorites, SZA, uh, her control album is one that I like to listen to straight through. Um, you know, there's been two alt J albums, all of James Blake, Blake's music. I mean, I don't like, I think it would be weird to listen to like a James Blake song. Like it's in my opinion, it's like designed to be listened to in order from beginning to end. Like that's how I like to consume my music. That's awesome. Dude, he just released a Mac Miller episode today. It just oh, came man. out. Uh, yeah, it's brand, brand new. I just listened to it this afternoon. I mean, um, I, I know you like to joke about my early days enjoying <laughs> a, a couple of Dave Matthews band a couple concerts, a, a small right. handful, if you will. <laughs> Have you seen them in concert like 48 times? <laughs> no, I've seen them like maybe four. <laughs> oh man, you're slacking big time, bro. Oh man. So, um, I really do love music and the way that I consume music, it is like an obsession. It is, uh, you know, nothing like your love for Melissa. Like I get wholly <laughs> and singularly obsessed with one particular album or one particular You're artist. You're going to murder music, aren't you? <laughs> no, but like, I mean, James Blake is a perfect uh, example. Like, I discovered him, and that's all that I listened to for maybe months. I mean, I would listen to the same album, um, you know, repeated. Uh, and like, sometimes, I, I don't know the numbers, but I'm, I'm sure that there's like an album out there that I've listened to a triple digit number of times, like over a hundred times. I don't doubt it. So... I'm very curious to see um, his podcast episodes because I want to find the musicians that I have like had that, you know, short term obsession with. And Mac Miller's like a perfect one. Like that album Swimming, in my opinion, is like a perfect album. And it's one of my favorites. And it's been there. He talks a lot about that album, about yeah. the production of it. Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. That's such a good album. This sounds fascinating. It's really good. And so... I consume music in a very different way from you. So there's like a specific genre of music. It's not even a real genre. It's just a term I made up, but it's like the sound that I like. 
and that sound is triumphant tragedy. Triumphant I tragedy. I love that juxtaposition of those two sounds. And so usually when I'm listening to music, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like porn. You know, they say like, oh, you'll know it when you see it. But what I always say about porn, porn is anything you lose interest in as soon as you're done masturbating. <laughs> but oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but when I when I find it <laughs> because if you keep triumphant. watching then that suddenly bridges the gap into art is that uh, what you're saying now this is exactly, real content yeah. this is art you know when it, it's got staying power <laughs> but uh, when I hear a song that is like triumphantly tragic to me get it together Brett um, I usually will just say oh that song needs to go into my playlist I'll I'll just buy that one song and so there are very few albums that I actually own but after listening to the the Sublime ep- uh, episode I went and bought Sublime and then 40 ounces to Freedom and uh you know as far as near perfect albums go I think that falls into the same uh, requirement in my mind with only a few songs on that album that aren't quote unquote f- my favorite um I'll, I'll always be thankful to Jake Brennan for revitalizing my interest in what I now remember as being one of my favorite musical acts of all time and probably one of the only bands that I've actually listened to albums all the way through from was Sublime because usually I'm just like piecemeal with music and it might be why I'm not as obsessed with the bands because something about it like typically doesn't speak to me that way. Interesting. I mean, I definitely like I have um, sort of a curated playlist now where I like to shuffle it and like songs that I like um, will make it into my Brett's bowl of music playlist is what it is. And it's just like things that really appeal to me, things that I really like. Um, I did get some interesting feedback recently uh, from Madeline. She has listened to my playlist a little bit and she says that everything sounds smooth. So whether it's like weird dubstep or jazz or like there's all sorts of genres, but apparently they all have sort of like a smooth texture to them, which I think is really interesting. But in general, when I get obsessed with music, it's in album format. So your subgenre that you're into is baby butt smooth. <laughs> it does not sound as cool as triumphant tragedy. That's for sure. Well, maybe you can workshop shop the name a little bit. I already did the groundwork for you. You can you can smooth it out, you can bredify it. You know, somebody whose music taste that I really um, admire is Mike and Alyssa Silva. And Mike has curated some really fantastic playlists. And one of the playlists that he has shared on Apple Music. Oh, another reason that we get along musically is uh, not a lot of people use Apple Music. Seems like everybody in my age group uses Spotify. And that really upsets me. I've had a lot of problems with Spotify. So I like to stay within the the Apple environment. Um, but Mike uses Apple Music. He has great taste in music. He's made some awesome playlists. But he actually took your concept in the last few years. And he's created a triumphant tragedy uh, playlist. And when I hear something, like I, I sent him an M83 song recently. And I said, triumphant tragedy. Oh, triumphantly tragic as fuck. <laughs> yes, yeah, M83 are. is... Yeah, they have a lot of songs that fit that. Yes, that they book. are. Yeah, Silver uh, Silver Sun Pickups was, I feel like, when we, we were listening to that a lot when you came up with that term back in the day in the Kruba days. But um, yeah, when, when Mike writes back and he's like, yeah, added it to the list, I feel like 
definitely very validated musically, like both for my taste and for like recognizing proper triumphant tragedy. Finally, you're cool. <laughs> yeah, until I find out that the music I listen to is baby butt music. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you uh, it was your idea, buddy. I, you know, it doesn't bother me a bit. I, I take pride in my taste in music. I think I have excellent taste in music. And I also don't listen to Dave Matthews' band anymore and haven't for years. So I wonder if there's a coincidence <laughs> there. There is hope for you. <laughs> yes. There. You be you started having good taste in music as soon as you stopped listening to them. <laughs> I also stopped <laughs> wearing flip-flops a lot around the same time. <laughs> Yeah, they call those sand alls for a reason. All they're good for is sand. <laughs> oh, man, what a schmuck I used to be. <laughs> Weren't we all? <laughs> yes. So let's get back to this thing. That was a good detour, by the way. Um, so other than the main Disgraceland show, there is After Party, which I mentioned earlier. That's a follow-up show that takes a more casual style to discussing some details that didn't make it into the main show or expanding on various stories from the episode, as well as doing like listener voice message, uh, voicemails, emails and whatnot. And I just started listening to after party recently. I did not realize what I was missing. It's a great companion piece to disgrace land. And you get a better picture of who, of who Jake Brennan is when he's not in full disgrace land mode. But other than disgrace land after party, uh, Double Elvis also produces Badlands, which is divided up into Hollywoodland and Sportsland, which takes the same concept. Uh, artists behaving badly, but it follows sports stars and actors, which is pretty cool. Uh, the 27 Club, which uh, I think anyone who's familiar with music knows about the curse of musicians dying at the age of 27. So he follows a lot of the mm, stories uh -huh. like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain just tells Amy Winehouse. That, like, yeah, exactly. I think he might, that might be the first episode of 27. Yeah, Club. such a sad story. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and then Armored, which is all about armored car robberies, which seemed like a crazy, you know, just like totally random, but you know, he Jake Brennanifies it, you know. And then there's Dead and Gone, which is one I have not listened to. It's about Grateful Dead fans and the tragedies that have befallen them. I guess there's like a Grateful Dead fan curse. Have you ever heard of that? I no, of I, I haven't, but I imagine there's a lot of drugs involved in uh, these stories. Probably. <laughs> it's probably a lot of fentanyl overdoses. Um, and there's probably a bunch of others that I need to track down after the show. I was looking on the Amazon Music app, and you like click on Related, and there's just like a huge list of shows from Double Elvis, and it also linked in a bunch of Wondery shows. So I think like maybe those two things are connected in some way. So does Jake host all those shows that you just mentioned? Yeah, Badlands, 27 Club, Armored, Disgraceland, and After Party. Those are all Jake Brennan. I'm wow. not sure about Dead and Gone. I haven't listened to that one. Okay. But I, I'm always looking for like new podcasts. It's, it's probably the type of media that I consume the most because it's something that I can just do like when I'm driving or if I'm just doing like menial house housework or whatever, you know, like I just listen to podcasts. And so I'm always looking for some new catalog that I have not worked my entire way through. So I'm going to check out like, I'm not like a huge Grateful Dead fan, but I have a feeling that it'll be very interesting to me hearing Jake Brennan talk about it. Wow. Interesting. So with, 
like listening to these through Apple, the shows are like one a week or so. But through the Amazon app with Badlands, he dropped the entire season all at once. So I don't know if you use the Amazon music app, but it is a really good option for listening to, you know, anything on Double Elvis because he's dropped I mean it's crazy to have a full ep- a full season drop all at once and then he'll just piecemeal it out through Apple. So he definitely values people listening to it through the Amazon app. And oh, I have it on my phone, but only for this. It's the only thing I listen to. Everything else was like why would I use that? That's, you know, I have I have iTunes to listen to or the podcast app on Apple to listen to everything else. Yeah. So if you want to check out any of this, just download the Amazon Music app, and that's going to be the best way to consume it all. But all in all, this is a show that paints such a rich and varied audio image that I found myself choosing listening to this over watching or reading or playing other content. I hunched over my Bluetooth speaker or my headphone like I was listening to a wise elder regale me with fireside stories. And if you're not already convinced, Brett, the show has won a bunch of accolades, blah, 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 whatever. It won a 2019 <laughs> iHeart Music Best Music Podcast and a 2021 Webby. It doesn't matter. No one wants to hear me list accolades because obviously you've already received the greatest, most rave review this show could ever get, which is the Content Clearinghouse talking about it. <laughs> it's true. Most respected, most respected outlet in all the land. Who cares what the Webbies say? I'm saying it's great. You should definitely check out Disgraceland. Season 11 just dropped with three episodes, 50 Cent, ACDC, and uh, the tie between ACDC and Richard Ramirez, which is pretty awesome. And also uh, the Mac Miller episode. They're all great. Uh, they all show that this master of musical tales is continuing to hone his craft and push the art form of podcasting even further. So check out Disgraceland. I think it'll be one of your new obsessions, Brett. Wow. A healthy one, though. Healthy <laughs> obsession. Don't murder Jake Brennan. Wow, that's very interesting. Well, it's something that we've talked about a lot on the show, which is uh, just what you said, separating art from the artist and also, like, not separating it. Like, it's always interesting to hear about the background and the motivations of these creators and creative people. And, and you know, similar to... Your um, discussion on uh, HBO's The Last of Us, I mean, I'm all for more and better representation in entertainment, and I'm just so glad that the music industry has so many dangerous, violent criminals uh, (laughs) representing that demographic within their art form. So that's also wonderful to hear. What's like, (laughs) goodness, (laughs) what's like one of the craziest things you learned about a band that you didn't you didn't know before, like. You told me the Denny's story. Is there another one that comes to mind that's just like super out there or super violent, hyper violent, maybe? Tommy James and the Shondells, that episode. uh, I've listened to it a few times because apparently uh, he was like all tied in with the New York mob. And they had basically, they had a, uh, like a record producer who they owned, who they strong armed tommy james into signing his band and all of his rights over to this producer and so you know he was like a world famous act he was he had uh performed like presidential rallies he was uh you know he t- 
toured the world. He was selling out giant stadiums and everything. And he was basically getting like just a pittance of money doled out to him because the mafia was taking everything he owned. And there was a story about him like losing his shit. And he was in his, his, uh, I don't know, like 90th story apartment in New York. And he was so mad that he was just firing a pistol like off into the air, off into the city. Oh my God. It's just like, it's so crazy. It's just like so likely to kill someone on accident. New York, I, I imagine you can't fire a gun into that city without hitting somebody or something that's important. And that's like a, that's one of the stories that always stuck with me about how just absolutely insane it was and how like that industry and getting tied in with these crazy money people just completely break your mind and also i imagine being this like insane public figure even without that mob influence i imagine it just wires you in such an insane manner that humans are not supposed to operate wow well i'm going to be in new york for fun in about two weeks and i kind of built this trip around seeing one of my favorite bands brass tracks play live at the blue note so uh that was an appropriate story to end on i'm definitely gonna check out definitely gonna check out this show well thanks josh as always you bring the great content unlike young 20s me you've got great taste in things (laughs) (laughs) oh man dave matthews burn and to all our content enthusiasts out there uh thanks for listening to the show we appreciate you make sure you like and subscribe the only accolades that we need are when you listen to our show. And we also like when you hit us up. You can email us, contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We still haven't gotten any naked skydiving pictures. I'm a little disappointed about that. Um, But we do like to hear from you. What about sound clips? Has anyone sent in sound clips? No one needs any more sound clips than the ones that you brought to (laughs) our last episode. Um, All right, well, we'll, uh, we we talked about our new recording schedule on last episode. We're going to plan on recording and releasing about one episode a month. Um, But we'll see you soon on the Content Clearing House. 